Welcome to Talking the Groove with me, Bob Hill, from the return of the illicit groove. Talking the Groove is, is an exploration of music, art and culture through conversations with those who create, produce, facilitate and experience art from the global left field. And in the week in which she has completed a premiere performance of a piece written for the LSO Percussion Ensemble, had another of her compositions performed by the Chineke Orchestra, has also been announced as an elected member of the Ivers Senate, and recently completed a UK tour with New Bayern Twist and the first leg of a US tour with Andrea Bocelli, it really is an honour to be joined by Ayana Witter-Johnson to talk her groove. So I wanted to ask you um, about your role as an Ivers Senator. I wonder if you could sort of explain what that actually means, what the role entails, and what you hope to bring to that. Yeah, so I'm so thankful and honoured to be um, to be voted into the Ivers Senate. It's a new it's a new structure. So the Ivers are trying to open up their sort of governing structure to be a better conduit between themselves and artists and all of their members so instead of just having a board they've sort of devised a way of having a wider network of of artists to communicate with their peers and their fan base and to understand um all the varying issues really that are within the industry for both the artists and um and audience members and to find a way of filtering that through to the top so that things don't get lost um in the mix so there's a real range of people on the senate there's different genres everyone has different interests it's quite um a broad mix of ages as well ages um backgrounds musically and um ethnically so it feels like quite a wholesome kumbaya type group um so for me my main interest and what I sort of presented to the other members in terms of putting myself up for the senate was I'm interested in diversity across all the different roles within the music industry especially um the higher up you go, as it were, um, on the label side and the side that's not front facing um, and interested in buyouts and royalty rates and touring, which I guess most directly affects me and what, how will things go moving forward in terms of Brexit and how that impacts touring um, in Europe and across the world. So just sort of a post-pandemic um, new landscape and how we navigate that. And then bringing in the ideas of um, I'm interested in support for independent artists who are running their own labels. So just the, the things that I kind of have to face um, on a sort of daily basis. So bringing that sense of awareness and interest to the Senate. Also um, diversity of composers in the educational syllabus. There was a lot that came up around that in this pandemic time so I'm keen to keep that on the table and also um, breaking down the gender and ethnicity pay gap that um, is still in existence so a lot of um, yeah cultural awareness education touring um, support for independent artists and and that's just me so like that time's 40 I believe there's 40 of us that are like all have our own varying degrees of interest should hopefully um cover a wide range of things but I'm also keen to step outside of what's relevant to me I know there are 40 other people that didn't make the senate who also have their own um agendas so I want to be a sort of voice for the people that didn't get onto the senate who may still have things that they want to put on the table. Oh, well, that sounds exactly what 
the music industries mm. actually just needs and has needed for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, that diversity of voice in the decision making areas. That's it. And, and it's uh, it's quite. Um, I've just been reading. I read a lot of music books and the music memoirs, and I've just been reading Skin's memoir. Oh yeah. And it's the same. The same tales, uh, if you like, the same themes pop up in a lot of these memoirs, especially with black artists mm. that getting um, producers imposed on them who right. change their sound. Right, that's uh, a common and, one. And the decision make, yeah, mm. the, even everything down to cover artwork gets decided, oh, that won't sell, but, mm. you know, and the people making those decisions uh, tend to be quite monocultural. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so that diversity, and, and it's, I mean, I, I, just from my own personal opinion, I see a lot of uh, not enough working class people making decisions. That's well. interesting. Yes. I love that, actually. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, that's what, what you've just said, mm. what your manifesto mm. that you've just said. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting and also very necessary. Totally necessary. And it's, it's good that they feel um, open enough to invite the change. I think it's still small steps. It's very early days. We really... Um, get going in January because they're voting for the board at the moment so we really get going then but we we have had one meeting and it's been enlightening in terms of us being aware of each other who each other is um, and how we can work together which is wonderful because often as an artist you're sort of in your own world spinning your own plate so it's great to feel connected to other really active members of the community and know that together you're working on something not just um your own path your own sound world <laughs> well that leads on nicely on to the other things i want to talk about today mm. which was um uh in as i said in one of the reviews i wrote of one of your shows uh i remarked on how you were able to come on stage just yourself and Ruben, your cello, yeah. and, and unannounced, and then capture that audience. And I found that quite—I uh, don't know—I I used to do performance poetry, and I always used to think, "I'm then someone's telling them I'm coming, right? <laughs> expectation that I'm going to do something, uh, but to just walk up on a stage with an instrument and and just." do that I thought was seemed scary to me to be honest um, oh thanks Bob but it, it it was remarkable how you did it and it was an amazing performance just uh, just for the listeners that was in Glasgow in September at the uh, CCA in Glasgow which was and it was an excellent gig you had a full room as and, and in the palm of your hand, really. Yeah, it was a lovely um, gig. They were completely, to be fair, they were one of the most well-behaved audiences I've ever <laughs> experienced. I lit- I felt like I got on stage and they were quiet. I guess there's a, a few things. The first one is I don't, I'm not that special just because I'm standing on stage. You know what I mean? Like we're all having a conversation. I see myself quite equal to the audience in the sense that we're all good at something we've all got something to offer and share in life I just happen to be doing that thing um on a slightly more public forum but that doesn't make me necessarily more interesting or better so I've just I don't have too many expectations it would be nice it would it's a desire that they are quiet and listen because I feel like I'd like to share something but it's not um they don't have to and if they don't then I tend to sort of become a little bit more internal on stage and just perform for me like I'm here to share something if you'd like to listen and um being quiet is helpful because I have a quiet setup (laughs) if you don't listen then you know I can still share and for the one person that might be listening I'll still tune into them um so when they are quiet like that which they were uh, I don't remember what I was wearing but I guess it's an unusual thing to be seeing so there's probably something visual that 
is gonna attract attention on some level um and then I just directly engage the audience I I talk to them and I explain who I am introduce myself and then sort of set out my table like here we go like this is a first offering you can continue to listen or not continue to listen but it's I would never say keep it down be quiet because you sort of have to earn that relationship I I have tricks and techniques to try and coax that uh, relationship I will like play with the dynamics or or become very quiet suddenly or just do unexpected things which in some venues sort of throws the audience off guard if they're expecting a certain noise level consistently if you sort of like Mm. drop it suddenly or like do some weird thing they they tend to feel like oh hang on might have to pay attention here so there are ways to keep people's attention without like demanding it but it's um that's the risk you take when you want to stand in front of people (laughs) who haven't bought a ticket to see you specifically necessarily (laughs) yeah well well that was the thing as well is um you were enchanting somebody else's audience Yes, brilliant. The best best kind of show. <laughs> Building yeah. new fans. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. I mean I enjoyed this show all the way through, but I thought I thought your 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 part of the show was um I think everybody felt it that it was a bit special actually. Yeah. Oh that, that's we, good. And, and, and I've just before um today I've just been looking at um the YouTube footage of you doing Roxanne in, I yeah. think, the Hollywood Bowl, which I guess yes. would that be one of the Andrea Bocelli concerts? Yeah, that was in the first leg of, of the US tour this year. Um, we played the Hollywood Bowl, which was extraordinary and very special. I think everyone, from the moment we sort of drove into the car park, everyone was so excited. And it had the the best sound the best acoustic because unlike a lot of the arenas that are also on the tour most of them are sports venues um whereas the hollywood bowl is really a music venue and you can hear that and when the sound's good you you just play better it sounds lovely it's more enjoyable well that was what i was going to ask you was um the the difference between the size of audiences and the fact that you were stepping out with a full orchestra, even though you were playing solo for to do Roxanne, there was a full yeah. orchestra behind you. That's uh, true. I'm just enjoying the enjoying it as much. <laughs> as but, but, um, it was a, it's an amazing performance. Uh, if any, you know, anyone listening really should go and check out this uh, of you playing Roxanne at uh, the Hollywood Bowl. It's so good. Thanks, what, how Bob. do you approach yeah. those different size audiences? Do you, do you just go out and sort of do be? Do you just go out and be you and and, and play you? Yeah, basically. Um, I sometimes my mind may not feel that I'm nervous, but my body will tell me I'm nervous. Like my foot might shake, or my throat might go dry, or I might feel a bit. Um, anxious so I just have to take two to three really deep conscious breaths because at the end of the day it's about to happen either way (laughs) you're gonna get out there (laughs) I mean you don't have to but it'd be wise to (laughs) so so you just get out there and um usually after about after the intro I'll settle into it and then if the audience are quite active and proactive and they start sort of laugh not laughing but just encouraging me I guess it then becomes much easier it feels like everyone's relaxed and that's always well, nice. one, of, one of the things I noted from that from the audience reaction actually was quite interesting is you started playing and then they got what was coming they, they uh, picked up on what the track was. And uh, they certainly weren't expecting it. And yeah, exactly. That, that was a, and there was a, a little ripple of excitement that then uh, 
yeah then they're into it yeah which is always lovely because they don't know it's it's it is a the first half of the show is really classical so there are conventions there you know are we hollering and interjecting are we not you know you know what do we do are we allowed to do anything or do we just listen and clap at the end so I think Mm. I then encourage them um by smiling and just showing them yeah like I'm enjoying that interaction so you're allowed to do that whereas if I don't give them something then they're okay to just not disturb me as it were Mm. so you it's body language Mm. Mm. it's it's, it's really fun watching that um performance it's really good just to see the, the how the crowd reacts to you is just it, it's amazing actually um, yeah and, and, thank you oh no it's good and, and when and doing somebody else's music i mean i'm going I'm to talk to you about uh compositions uh as well your compositions and um mm. and your role as a composer um but reinterpreting somebody else's music we've discussed this before it's what do you Say with a song like Roxanne, what do you want to bring to that, and and, and mm. uh, why do you, uh, uh, why do you choose the songs that you do choose mm. that you do? Uh, I don't want to say cover versions because that that doesn't sound seem quite what it is. It's to complete new arrangements, isn't it? Yeah, reimaginings. I guess is is what it might be. Um, that one was just the very first one really um i think it was just a song i was familiar with at the time that had a chord sequence that i could grasp easily enough um and it yeah it was always an unexpected kind of choice from the beginning and maybe i enjoyed that element it's a song by a male artist it you wouldn't expect me to do that maybe I was drawn to something unexpected from the start but I think it was just in a lineup of songs that I knew um well enough to explore and experiment and that I felt the audience would also be able to connect with um and the arrangement has grown over the years it was it was different in the beginning simpler um with a different introduction so it's just evolved with me and I think it's one of those ones that exemplifies different facets of what I do quite neatly in an unexpected way so that's probably why it connects with people Right. 
is it is there a, um an argument that doing a song that you know the audience will know that gives you a kind of an easier way into their and in, into getting their attention or or enhancing their enjoy, enjoyment as well yeah there is that i mean with with the tour most of andrea's um repertoire on the tour is music by other composers really so it's not um it's not at all full of you know his own music even so i think they and especially me just coming on for one song they want something that's just going to connect with their audience um so that's why roxanne works perfectly because i mean no one necessarily knows who i am and to do an original song um is also like another leap beyond that so they want to show me off but also connect um quickly with the audience with something that they're familiar with um so that works for me um it works for me i try to do roxanne probably a little less these days i only throw it in um if it's a very short gig, I'll throw it in just because of that connection factor um, and because I actually enjoy performing it and I think it does kind of give me a moment to to show off, as it were. Um, but on a longer gig, I might not throw it in where I'm trying to tell a story a bit more about myself. So I did a show in London called Hometown Roots and I don't think Roxanne made it onto that show. <laughs> and it was nearly a two-hour show. So it depends on the storyline and, and what the purpose of the gig is. If it's audience building, new audiences, new territories, new venues, new places, it's likely to make it in. And if it's, mm. um, yeah, homegrown crowds that have been there and they know that and we can explore new things. Mm, mm. No, it's... it's, 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 it's I, I, I'm always fascinated by any performer's even comedians, their choices of what bits they're going to do before right. poetry, you know, like how they build a set. And, and it's the same with uh, musicians. I, mm. I just I find it interesting to see. Sometimes you can tell when a musician has gone off script and they're having such a good time that they mm. just totally change what they're doing and bands do mm. that as well. Mm. And, uh, but, I, but then you still have to get yourself back yeah <laughs> have, have that one thing that can get you back yeah that can anchor you sorry that can anchor you yeah anchor in, you. back into the set yeah. yeah 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 um so with your own compositions um i'm just uh, i mean i've got some tracks of yours that are definitely my favorites uh but i'm in, i'm just interested in uh if we look at the um we talk about the um, the uh, compositions you've done with the LSO and the, and the, and what's coming up with the Chineke Orchestra as well. But just on your albums, um, if you're going to pick a couple of tracks that you you, you think are, I know things change and you favourites come and go. But uh, if there's a couple of tracks that you just think, yeah, I'm really proud of these. Mm. Um, I'm proud of quite a lot of what I've I've written over the years. Um, I'm really, yeah, <laughs> I'm really proud of Playgrounds. Probably my favourite of of my songs. Um, I'm really proud of Playground. I'm really proud of Wooden Woman. I'm really proud of Rise Up for li- Living a Life. <laughs> Just becoming something <laughs> um, in its own right. Um, really proud of Rise Up. Really proud of Black Panther. Yeah. Talking of Black Panther, uh, what's the the idea behind that actual track? Because I, I love that track. It's, it's probably the first track of yours that I ever played on one of my radio shows. Oh, uh, lovely! And I just—I uh, know what I think it's about, but I—I—I I, I, I want to hear what you 
what it really well, is about what's really about yeah so black panther um i wrote sort of from the perspective of standing in the shoes of one of my great great grandmothers who i imagine would have made the journey from west africa on a slave ship over to the caribbean so it's kind of her singing to her captor um, so there's a sort of essence of real time, but also a timelessness about that dynamic between slave and slave master and just claiming your own strength and power. Like there's no fear that needs to be present in this dynamic. Like this whole thing doesn't even have to exist because I'm just fabulous. <laughs> and um, so it's, it, it can feel like a love song when you're not tuned into what's actually happening. But in a way, that's the sort of metaphor of a, it's a, like a dysfunctional relationship that's happening. Mm. It's a dysfunctional dynamic, but the um, victim is doing her best to, to kind of see beyond it and to kind of put her case forward <laughs> saying that like I am um I am beautiful in my essence and I need not be a threat you made a journey across the sea looking for numbers but you found when you first saw me, how did you feel? Not quite the picture of what you dreamed. Like a black panther, I'm free to roam without a keeper. You never need to fear my power. My strength will always be your Congratulations 
on that show you did with the LSO. Uh, is it the percussion section, wasn't it? Yeah, the percussion uh, ensemble. Percussion ensemble, that's it. Um, uh, and that premiered uh, this week or this past week. And there were, let, let me get this right, there were two tracks in it that were two tracks, a typical DJ. There were two, <laughs> two pieces in it. <laughs> uh, your compositions. Yeah. Uh, the one that was premiered was forever, wasn't it? Is that, yeah. That so right? there were there were three um, three performances from me altogether. The premiere was forever, um, which Neil Percy, um, head of percussion at the London Symphony Orchestra, he commissioned me to compose um, at the start of the year, and we were supposed to premiere it in August but COVID regulations um, didn't allow that to happen. So fortunately, they were able to reschedule and they rescheduled right in the middle of the jazz festival, which was perfect timing for the, the tone of the evening. And um, so that was Forever, which is a 10-minute work for me and percussion ensemble plus piano. And then we did Unconditionally, which is the last track on my debut album, Roadrunner, which I wrote for my mum, which is sort of like the seed idea um, that Forever is born out of. So they're both songs to do with honouring my mum and thanking her for her um, foresight for enrolling me in piano lessons, age three. Um, so it was a lovely programme.
think was just an amazing performance. So again, I'm going to direct the listeners to YouTube, to the LSO uh, channel uh, to watch it because it was uh, the, the energy actually all the way through the energy of everyone involved was uh, yeah. like quite uh, what's the word I'm looking, palpable is the word I'm looking it for. was palpable because um, yeah, they were really what Neil really wanted was for me to just enjoy um delving into my heritage and to really go there with um my cultural identity so I basically took the seed rhythm from um my years in an African dance troupe as a child with my mum and hearing those Ghanaian um, rhythms, drum drumming rhythms that made its way into the foundation of the piece. So there's a lot of high energy, West Africa, djembe's, claves, um, beautiful harmonies and sort of prophetic type lyrics <laughs> going on. And is, it, is there... Uh... Is that going to be released in any way? Uh, I'd love for it to be recorded. <laughs> for sure, yeah. It should be recorded. I think it'd be a really nice vibe. Um, so let's see. Maybe the next performance might be recorded as a live recording. I think Neil would quite like to document it as well. So fingers crossed for that. And that kind of collaboration, that gives you new responsibilities or different responsibilities I guess as both a composer and a performer and mm. what are your approaches on 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 that kind of uh or what your disciplines are as well I guess in, in that kind of um uh well your role as a collaborative composer mm. it is a different thing actually it's very true to just write something for someone outside of yourself versus a song on your normal kind of gig versus a composition where you're featuring with the other performers they do sit in slightly different places and the ones where I'm featured as the performer um tend to stress me out in the beginning because I'm like what's the language like what because it almost becomes theatrical when I'm now inside of this situation it's like okay it feels like theater now somehow because we're watching this as well as hearing it um and what's the story so I tend to really have to excavate what it's about what the narrative is because inevitably it's going to be in front of a particular kind of audience and maybe once or twice it 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 wouldn't then make it onto my touring gig and it doesn't live in that way it lives in this one-off space so there's a lot of pressure on it on some level um to be uh, more than just a song, um, to be some kind of mini extravaganza, as for me. Anyway. <laughs> and then and I guess that will be the same with the uh, the the work you're doing with the Chineke Orchestra. Have I pronounced that correctly? Um, Chineke, yeah. Um, I with the Chineke Orchestra, I'm not performing, which is which is what it is. So, um, so I'm in, so in a slightly different space, yeah. So I have composed a couple of works for them now, um, which is wonderful. And they're performing one tomorrow night called Blush for Chamber Orchestra, which was commissioned for the Edinburgh International Festival this year. Um, and they really enjoyed it and recorded that. And they actually released it on their Orchestral Highlights album, which is on all digital platforms. So Blush is available in the world to enjoy and listen to, which is great because I think having recordings of your compositions is such a big thing and an important thing.
So it's nice that they're going to give it a second outing at the South Bank Centre. And that's that's a different headspace in the sense that every time the piece is played, you're then meeting mostly a new conductor. They have to try and understand the work, interpret the work, communicate that to the players. There may be new players in the ensemble. So it's a, it's a new creative process every time a piece is played until, you, you know, you get so busy as a composer, you can't be at every rehearsal or, or meet every conductor. You just let the work live <laughs> completely outside of yourself, which is why the score has to have so much information. The score has to really represent the idea as best it can. There's a, a, a literary, um, uh, I can't think of the word, a literary uh, philosophy, let's call it that, uh, called Death of the Author, which is this idea that once that you've, uh, once you've written something, the minute it gets into somebody else's hands, the reader, the meanings change because the mm. reader's bringing their own thing to it. And uh, I wonder mm. as a composer, do you find that an exciting idea that somebody's going to bring their own thing to it? Like, as you say, as you were just saying, a, a conductor or, or mm. anyone else, uh, other performers? Kind of. I feel like... I appreciate that other people can bring their own thing to it. Reading into it is totally fine. You can read into it whatever you like. Um, where it pertains to the groove and it feeling a certain way, I do feel as though I'd like it to be what I'd like it to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and why not? It's yours. <laughs> oh, oh, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> And, and the, the, it's um, a, a question that I ask every musician that I've ever interviewed over too many decades. Um, do you, what do you see yourself as most, uh, uh, a musician or a composer or a performer? Mm. Which, which, of, which of those mm. are you primarily in your own in your own mind mind I think performer first I'm probably a performer mm. first yeah yeah it's uh, <laughs> yeah well I haven't seen you perform on many occasions I think I think um including on the recent YouTube ones that, that I've uh, mentioned it's yeah. very clear how much you, you are a performer. And, yeah, uh, because I have no resistance in that space. I have, I'm very rarely, I'm always in, even if I do feel out of my comfort zone, I'm always within a comfort zone that feels quite natural to me. I mean, it might be a scary gig, things may go wrong or, or really well or not, but I always feel at home, I guess, in that space wow okay and then and, and as you're heading back to the states to continue the next leg of the andrea bocelli tour i, I guess that's just as well really yeah just it's, as well <laughs> there's some big spaces yeah big spaces but also quite cozy spaces it's sort of like being in a dark womb i'd call it <laughs> A dark room. I guess most rooms are dark. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Wow, I remember. <laughs> it's too long ago. Exactly. <laughs> I tell you what, we've we've stopped that there because I think that that is the perfect ending. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Bob.
Crossroads of desire. 